0: at TAPS we wear our photo buttons of our loved ones. So she had her photo button on, she saw that there was a picture of a young man on that headstone, so she figured that must be one of their sons, and she took off from the group and she ran over, and I'm sorry, but she she pointed to her picture, she pointed to their picture. They understood she was a mom and they just started hugging and crying together.
1: Welcome to Season 2 of the Policy Vets Podcast, engaging with leaders, scholars, and strong voices to fill a void in support of policy development for America's veterans. With your host, former Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Dr. David Shulkin, and the Executive Director of Policy Vets, Lou Chelley. Today's guest, retired Air Force Reserve Officer and Army surviving spouse, Bonnie Carroll. Mr. Secretary... And as secretary of the VA, you've worked with a lot of family members. I remember you telling me the story about meeting Sarah Verardo. And so what are some of the circumstances under which you may have met some survivor families?
2: Well, often you interact with people that are having challenges and difficulties and they reach out to ask for help often because they've not been able to find the right type of support and resources. And I have to say, those family members and and hearing those stories that I think were most motivating for me to try to make sure that VA was fulfilling the mission that it has in the way that they should. And remember, President Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, that's still chiseled into the wall of VA in Washington, talked about the need to care for the widow and the survivor, and that's really such an important part of what the country's responsibility is to support those family members.
1: That's exactly right. I, I mean, I've always called survivor families on Memorial Day to let them know that I'm thinking about them. And I, I've actually recently gotten into the habit of sending Mother's Day wishes to the spouses and, and moms of survivors as well. You know, I don't think a lot of people realize the unique place that survivor families live in when their service member dies.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Memorial Day, which is really that one day that's set aside for the country to do it, you know, uh, people have to recognize every day is Memorial Day. When you've lost somebody like that, you never stop thinking about them. But it's a strange weekend in some ways, because so many people look at it as the start of summer and, you know, doing fun things where if you're a surviving family member Memorial Day has a very different meaning. And so I think, reaching out to people letting them know that you're thinking about them that you remember what memorial day is about is actually really important
1: well and i don't think that the average american realizes how a survivor's life is actually turned upside down i mean they in some cases they lose benefits and you know where they you know where the kids were going to school at military installations really in some cases they're not qualified to attend the same school anymore so they lose friends Uh, in some cases, if the surviving spouse wants to remarry, you know, at a later date, they lose their benefits altogether. Really, it's it's a weird place for them to be in.
2: Yeah. And, And imagine what it's like for the young children who, who either have distant memories of their mother and father, or maybe not even ever met them. Imagine what, what that's like every day for them. So I think you're right in thinking that way. and, and, and trying to sensitize people to what that's like.
1: Now, I'm really glad then, you know, that we have someone that you and I have both worked with over the years, retired Air Force Major Bonnie Carroll.
2: Yeah, Bonnie's really led an exceptional life. Not only 30 years of service in the Air Force, uh, she went to Iraq, she worked at the White House as a liaison for VA, she worked at the Pentagon. She, of course, went through her own tragedy with the loss of her husband, Tom, but She has been so important in the way that we've all begun to think about how we should be supporting these families. And uh, I think she even wrote a book. I think it's called Healing Your Grieving Heart After a Military Death, where she talks about her own story. And uh, she's just such an amazing woman.
1: And then she went on to found the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, TAPS, which we're going to hear a lot about today. And if that were the only thing that she had done, you know, really would have been huge on its own. But let's not forget that she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom.
2: Yeah, and if anybody deserves it, she certainly is on that list. Um, not only her, her individual courage that she displays every day, but TAPS is really an amazing organization that. Impacts so many people, you know. I think you know thousands and thousands of people each year. So I think that hearing her story today and hearing about TAPS is really going to be an important one of our podcasts.
1: I, I couldn't agree more, and in recognition of, of Memorial Day, this is this is an appropriate episode, and, and also one of the busiest times of year for Bonnie is one of the things that I really want to hear more about is her Good Grief Camp you know that she hosts on over the Memorial Day weekend.
2: Yeah, uh, you know working at VA and working with taps was really a tremendous honor and so it's going to be good to hear from Bonnie directly. So why don't we get started?
1: Let's do that. Bonnie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on the Policy Vets podcast. We know how incredibly busy you are, and we really appreciate you taking time to spend with us and our listeners today.
0: Oh, gosh, Lou, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you so much, especially on this Memorial Day weekend.
2: Yeah, Bonnie, thanks again, and um, thanks for everything that you're doing. You've had 30 years of military service. Can you just share with the audience a little bit about your military career?
0: Absolutely, David. You know, I was inspired to join the military because my mom served as an aviator in World War II. That was a very important part of her life, and uh, she actually passed away while I was a teenager. So, in my 20s, I joined the Air National Guard, served at first, enlisted, and then received my commission, had a great career as a logistics officer in the Air Guard for 16 years. And transitioned over the, over to the Air Force Reserve to take the assignment of Chief of Casualty Operations and then went into the uh, kind of the second half of my career as an officer in the Air Force Reserve. So it's been an honor to serve and an extraordinary experience.
1: Bonnie, thank you so much for your service and you know it's always a pleasure working with you and your team. and I know that you are the engine that makes taps roar but I really need to point out that you're a master at picking great team members.
0: Well, we do have an extraordinary team at TAPS, and you know, I mean, I founded TAPS now uh, 28 years ago, following the death of my husband in an army plane crash. He was killed along with seven other soldiers, and at that time there was no national program for all of us, grieving the loss of a loved one, but over these past 28 years, surviving family members who have come through our program have been inspired to take on the mission as a new career. And we've got folks who have gotten their master's in social work that have gone on to get doctoral degrees. We now have about 120 staff, and they are all absolute rock stars. They are top performers because they are passionate about the mission. Everybody just says that this this isn't a job, it's a calling. It's who they are now and what they can give back.
2: Yeah, Bonnie, I've gotten to know TAPS and just amazed at all the different things that you do in this organization. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about what TAPS is and give us an overview of the types of things that TAPS
0: does? I'd love to. You know, TAPS is the organization for all those grieving the death of a military loved one. When my husband was killed, I went looking for the kind of support system that I knew existed for other types of loss in our society, but found that it just had never existed for the military community. And I spent the next two years trying to find my own way forward, but really trying to understand, was there a need for yet another organization? Was there a gap in services? Because of my past uh, service in government, I went back to the Department of Veterans Affairs, Department of Defense, other private organizations, kind of learning where the government benefits and services stopped and Other private organizations picked up. There were four core services not provided anywhere else for military surviving families. And those were the four things that TAPS was built upon. And, you know, to this day, these are still things that TAPS uniquely provides. And the first of those is just a national network of peer-based emotional support all of our grieving families coming together to know they're not alone, to find comfort and care through each other. Grief is, is not a mental illness. It isn't a physical injury. Grief is the normal human response to the death of a loved one. And what we can do to mend a broken heart is really come together with each other. To normalize and validate the feelings that we're having and find a way forward together through hope and healing. We also offer casework assistance, a 24-7 helpline, and connections to community-based grief support. So that's that's how TAPS enters into the world. But a lot of the programs that we do offer really revolve around this desire to create that, that family of all of us, that community-based care.
1: You know, I don't have to tell you, Monty, and and you know this as well, sometimes out of tragedy comes innovation and you know before we get too far along if you wouldn't mind sharing with us could you tell us a little bit about your husband Brigadier General Tom Carroll and and what motivated you to start TAPS?
0: My husband was an absolutely extraordinary leader. He uh, lost his own father in the army when he was just 15 years old and uh, when he graduated from high school he immediately went right off to serve himself also went in, enlisted originally, served in Vietnam, came home from that combat service, and then stayed in for his entire career, coming home eventually to go back into the Alaska Army National Guard, where his dad had been the adjutant general. I was very, very blessed to meet Tom while I was working in the West Wing of the White House back in the 80s, and it was just such a Just an absolutely storybook romance. We were so, so happy and so blessed to have found each other. We went off to uh, live this wonderful life in Alaska. He rose to be the Assistant Adjutant General of the Alaska Army National Guard. And, you know, because of his father's death in an Army plane crash, we thought that could never happen to us. It could never touch our family. But in November of 1992... It did touch our family. Tragedy did strike, and my husband and seven other soldiers were killed in an army plane crash in the mountains of Alaska. And so, that uh, that absolutely devastated my family. And despite my own military service and training, and and you know everything I thought I knew about being a support and being an empathetic person, wow, when it happens to you, it's. Absolutely devastating. You know, I found I could barely even breathe, much less be present to help anybody else. And that was the turning point.
2: So, Bonnie, how long was it after Tom's tragic death that you knew that you needed to do something and that you started TAPS?
0: Oh, you know, that's a great question because. At, at first, I thought, all right, well, I know there are organizations that help people through different types of, of traumas and different circumstances and challenges, so clearly there must be something like this for the military. Went looking for that type of organization, and wow, it, I, I just couldn't believe that it didn't exist, that there was no place for families who have lost someone in the military to come together to connect with others, to find that support and just know they're not alone in their loss. Because there were eight soldiers killed in Tom's crash, I did reconnect with some of those other spouses who had lost their husbands, and oh my gosh, we found that that magic. We found that peer connection, our own little tribe who really got it. We were living the same the same fears, the same anxieties, challenges, hopes. And in that connection with each other, we finally just found a place where we could be, where we could be without judgment and we could support each other because it was authentic. So it was out of that, the TAPS was formed. We said, you know, if this doesn't exist, then by God, we've got to create it. And now today, TAPS is a major national organization. And whenever and wherever a service member is lost, their family is connected with all of the comfort and care we can offer.
1: Well, you know, speaking of the families, I'm, I'm sure that there are families that you've kept in close contact with and, and have watched grow over the years. And I know that you must have an entire book worth of really important stories to share. Can I ask you to share maybe one or two of them with us today?
0: I would love to. We have families literally now who come to us, you know, little babies in in strollers are being carried into our our good grief camp way back in the 90s, who have now grown up and are adults themselves and come back as legacy mentors. One that I'm particularly proud of is the son of my husband's aide. Garrett Schmidt's dad was killed along with my husband in that plane crash. And he was the first good grief camper. He came to our very first gathering, and he was the only kid there. And he kind of looked around and he said, hey, there must be other kids like me that don't have dads. You know, dads that were in the military. He said, where are they? Well, this weekend, Garrett was a legacy mentor. He's now in his 30s. He actually works for the VA. And he's got uh, two kids of his own, but he was wearing that purple shirt and serving as a legacy mentor. Gosh, that meant the world to me to just see this transformation. So now he was there with 500 kids and military mentors, group leaders, and others as we went through our Good Grief Camp over Memorial Day weekend.
2: So, Bonnie, tell us a little bit more about the Good Grief Camps. How large are they usually? How often do you run them? Tell us a little bit about what it takes to organize a good grief camp.
0: Well, TAPS connects surviving family members in a whole host of ways. You know, we do it in communities with TAPS togethers and care groups and online sharing sessions, but uh, really our our hallmark programs are survivor seminars and good grief camps that run concurrently for the kids. We do those regionally all over the country, but we do two big national events a year, with the largest one being Memorial Day weekend. This Memorial Day weekend was our 28th annual. The adults were learning about coping strategies, resources, participating in sharing groups, and enjoying a lot of the activities that happen in Washington, D.C. over Memorial Day, while the kids we're in their age groups with one-to-one military mentors who we recruit and train and group leaders and facilitators now these we had 25 groups all divided up by ages so kids could be connecting on their own developmental level we had uh, we usually have to limit the good grief camp to 500 kids just due to the capacity of the hotel. (laughs) This year, we took over actually five different hotels and uh, were spread all over Crystal City, Virginia, near the Pentagon. But when you've got 500 kids, you've got 500 military mentors one-to-one, and then on top of that, you've got group leaders and facilitators. So our Good Grief camp, you know, can be up to almost 1,400 participants and it's absolutely wonderful to see these kids make connections they're going to have for the rest of their lives you know we had 40 of our good grief campers graduate at uh, on Sunday afternoon and those 40 out of all of the graduates actually made a decision that they would come to the good grief camp rather than participating in their own high school graduation back home. And one of them told me, and I, oh my, it's going to make me cry to say this, but they said, you know, my high school friends, maybe I'll see them at a reunion in a few years, maybe not, but the friends that I've made in the Good Grief Camp over the years, they're my family. They're going to be with me the rest of my life. They get me. They know me. They have my back, and this is where I need to be. That's the power of our military surviving families and the connections that they have made. This truly is a family and it's it's the home for all of us who are honoring and remembering a life lived in selfless service to America. I
1: want to go back for a minute to something you said about Garrett and his original comment about, you know, there must be other kids like me where are they? And and now you have 500 kids. 500 500 survivors of lost military parents. I want our audience to think about that just for a minute. And those are just the ones that are able to attend this camp. And I'm listening and uh, remembering some, some comments that Jon Stewart had this weekend at a, at a military showing and was lamenting about the lack of participants that weren't connected with the military, just general Americans and was wondering where they were. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering now the impact that your program has. And like I said, just 500 kids that how many lost military members does that represent that are just able to attend this camp in Washington, DC in this area? What type of support have you noticed from, from the general public?
0: wow it that's that's a great question Lou and and we do you know over Memorial Day of course engage in so many activities that we hope the public will will make note of We hope that on Memorial Day Americans will pause to remember the service given in defense of their freedom and not just make it a holiday to go to the beach or open the pool or um, participate in a, a sale at a local store. But you know, regardless of, of how citizens respond, we do live in an extraordinary nation. We are free from from attack in our homeland. We are blessed to sleep in, in security at night and uh, not fear for a, an attack. Uh, all of that is made possible by our men and women in uniform and the families who have lost loved ones are so acutely aware. Of the sacrifice that is made you know when our men and women like my mother like myself and my husband enlisted when we when we pledged to protect and defend our country we also committed to die for democracy on that date and it uh, it was an honor to do so for our family members you know, now last year, a lot of people think, oh, the war is over and there aren't, you know, there aren't very many, very many losses. But for the military, over the past 20 years, the war has followed our service members' home. And we're finding a dramatic increase in deaths by illnesses due to exposures to toxins, as you mentioned about the rally that was held this weekend in support of the Honoring Our Pact Act. We also have an increase of those who have died by suicide as a result of post-traumatic stress. Last year, we had 9,246 newly bereaved military surviving families coming to TAPS, just seeking that connection with another who understood and a connection to the resources. The vast majority of them, 31% having lost a loved one to illness and 27% to suicide, and only four percent to hostile action. So it it has been a big shift. And and taps is there. It, it, it isn't about the moment or the manner of death, however. It is it is about the life lived that included service to this country.
2: Bonnie, you you really said that so well. You know, I hope it, it sinks in what your message is. In terms of how you keep this organization going, you're Impacting so many people. How do you get the funds to support your organization and to continue this amazing work?
0: Well, a lot of people think TAPS is a government agency, but we are very much a private organization that is led by surviving families and you know, we are a 501c3 nonprofit charity We're very very blessed to receive donations, but it, it isn't easy It isn't easy to do the work that we do and constantly be raising those funds and engaging partners and making sure that Americans know the work that we do and how important it is. That our families tell us that the care that we give, the support that we offer is life-saving. It really is transformational for the kids growing up in the good grief camp. Our 24-7 helpline gets calls every night from surviving family members you know who are just even questioning whether they can make it until dawn the resources that we have really honor lives lived in service to this country and make it possible for our families to access not only federal benefits but also state benefits private support that is there for them it fills in the gaps of what is offered anywhere else. Everything that TAPS does is mission-critical and a unique service. So we're so grateful. If anyone is interested who's listening and how they can support, I would love it if they'd go to taps.org or follow us at taps.org and learn more about volunteering or donating to support our work
1: you know Bonnie I I know Taps is your baby and and I pride myself on being well affiliated with Taps but I got to be honest it caught me off guard when you recalled that Taps has been around almost 3 decades so you know you're you're a very dynamic leader I'm wondering what are you working on at the moment what what's next
0: Well, you know, we've been partnering for the past 20 years. I I was gone from TAPS for about four years, mobilized to active duty after 9-11, then went back to serve in the administration as the White House liaison to the Department of Veterans Affairs, and then in 2003, volunteered to go to Baghdad for a year and uh, serve as the deputy senior advisor to the Iraqi Ministry of Communications. But since that time, we've actually been building these international partnerships to connect American surviving families with the surviving families of Iraq, the widows and the children uh, of our allied partners, those who our loved ones served right alongside of. And it's been so healing to make those connections. We now have relationships in 53 different countries around the world. In 2015, the State Department, the U.S. State Department, came to us and asked if we would mentor the creation of a program like TAPS in Ukraine. So since 2015, now seven years, We've been in and out of Ukraine doing training. We've had surviving Ukrainian families from the losses in 2014 in Crimea and Donbass who have come to see our programs, participate in the Good Greek Camps and Survivor Seminars, and they've done a fantastic job of standing up a nationwide organization in Ukraine. Today, that organization is now on the front lines. TAPS Ukraine is rallying volunteers, serving meals, tending to the wounded, caring for the children, and really is one of the most well-organized private organizations in the country. So I'm really, really proud of that. I'm proud of of all of our relationships. This weekend at the Good Grief Camp, we had a dozen different delegations with us from Iraq, from Afghanistan, from Israel, uh, Australia, Libya, Turkey, Uh, Of course, Georgia, Poland, Romania, and Italy, and among others. So this is our opportunity to bring the world closer together, to honor the service of our American military members who have now died while serving overseas by making those connections for their loved ones.
2: That's really amazing, Bonnie. I I had no idea about all that international outreach and how important that can be in you know, bringing people together. I, I wonder, have you learned anything from any of the other countries that they may be doing to support their families and to support people in grief in different cultures that you may have brought back or maybe a good lesson for us to know about?
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, many of the organizations like India War Widows actually just celebrated their 100th anniversary so they've been around much longer than uh, than we have, certainly. So we do share best practices as part of our international working group, and that's been so beneficial. But I want to tell you just you know a quick example. We took a group of American surviving families over to the Middle East, uh, going into Iraq, and one of the moms who was on our trip actually went with quite a bit of anxiety. Uh, she had kind of this preconceived notion about the Middle East and, and the Muslim culture, and she really had her guard up and was was very tense about what, what this was going to be. You know, her, her son had died, and, and she felt that this is, you know, he died because of these people. Anyway, when we got there, we went to a cemetery. Gosh, I'm going to get choked up telling you this, but she saw three Muslim women who were dressed you know and covered uh, quite a bit not their their faces were seen but they were sitting at one of the sun's graves and they were having their lunch and comforting each other on those particular headstones they actually have a an enamel, Photo of the loved one. It's it's like a little uh, plaque that is put onto the headstone. And at taps, we wear our photo buttons of our um, of our loved ones. So she had her photo button on. She saw that there was a picture of a young man on that headstone. So she figured that must be one of their sons. And she took off from the group, and she ran over. And I'm sorry, but she she pointed to her picture. She pointed to their picture. They understood she was a mom. And they just started hugging and crying together. And in that moment, it all became real. And it just became two moms. Then, you know, there were three of them. They all were hugging each other and holding on and sobbing and and honoring their sons. And uh, she told us later, she said, I have lunch at my son's grave. And she said, they're just like me. They're just moms who miss their sons. And um, every bit of anxiety or even hatred she may have held in her heart melted away. And this is the healing that can take place when we understand that there are, there, there are people behind the conflicts, that there are children that deserve the right to grow up in stable societies and have the chance for a future. We have a woman on our, on our team uh, who has been working for us now for six years in uh, in Afghanistan. And um, extraordinary young woman, absolutely brilliant. She has trained Afghan widows to uh, make these lapis bracelets, and then we sell them. it's It's a job for them, but it's also a chance while they're making them to come together and get to connect and and have kind of a sharing sharing group but while they're also earning an income because there are no financial benefits and women would otherwise be out on the street after their husband was killed. So we had this wonderful relationship. Bushra was running our program and just doing a beautiful job. And she really is a product of what America has accomplished over 20 years in Afghanistan. Here's this young woman who was able to go to university. She received two master's degrees, became fluent in five languages, married the man of her choosing, a young Afghan man who was working for the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. She had a little baby boy. And when uh, Afghanistan fell in August of last year, she and her husband and her baby were on the last commercial flight out of the country. She arrived in America. She continues to this day to work with us. She's here with us in Washington, D.C., at our, our Survivor Seminar, participating in all of the programs and continuing to tell the story of what America has done for that country and the hope and the promise we have given those people. And that will not stop. Those people, this generation, are changed forever. And we've had wonderful conversations about the hope she still has for the future, despite the current rule of the Taliban. She says, you know, the people, the young people today that are now in their 20s, they grew up with the the promise and the hope that America gave them. And she said, there will come a bright future. So that was was tremendously healing for all of our surviving family members who came to this seminar having lost loved ones in Afghanistan.
1: Bonnie, what an incredibly powerful story. And... We're starting to come up on the, on the end of time, but I have a few questions left and I want to try to squeeze them in. And, you know, one of them is, you know, when you meet a new TAPS family, what do you say to them?
0: That they are not alone, that their loved one is is honored and remembered. And, you know, um, I also say that I just wish I could go back in time and just change what's happened, you know, just uh, bring them back. I think that's the one thing we all wish. And um, just putting words to that and saying, well, maybe we can't do that. Here's what we can do.
1: Is it ever too late for a family member who has lost a military member to join TAPS?
0: You know, we have families who come to us who, who maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years post their loss. And that's okay. You know, grief uh, and honor and remembrance are a lifetime. When uh, someone we love has died, there aren't things like, you know, we, we don't say goodbye. There isn't closure. We redefine our relationship with our loved one because they always are present in our lives. This is especially true for children. And I, I went into one of the little groups. It happened to be the seven-year-old group. And the little girl posted on the board when she had the chance to, to write a message, she said, my daddy is the best. And I thought that was great that she spoke in the present tense, that her dad is the best, even though she never had the chance to know him because she was, wasn't was even born when he was killed. So that's what TAPS does. We bring our loved ones present. We remember and honor the life they lived in service to America and we know that that love lives on.
1: Thank you Bonnie and, and before we go we always like to make sure that we give our guests the last word and I'm wondering what's next for Bonnie Carroll?
0: <laughs> well I, I just am so honored to do this work. I'm so proud of the team that we have. It's uh, it's an extraordinary mission. I, I can't imagine doing, doing anything else. I'm excited to expand our programs of course right now we're very very focused on TAPS Ukraine and supporting the families there I, I encourage folks it's taps.org Ukraine to learn more about that work but keep those families in your thoughts and prayers and even when this conflict ends and hopefully that will be very soon there will be a long period of, of rebuilding and of healing so there's there's a lot of work left to do and I appreciate the opportunity today to share just a bit of it
1: Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks, and keep up the great work. We're all behind you, Bonnie.
0: Great. It's been an honor to be with you both. Thank you so much.
2: Great.
1: And that really is all the time that we have for this week. We really hope you enjoyed this episode with Bonnie Carroll. Listen, coming up over the summer, we've got some really exciting episodes. We're going to be doing some traveling as well, so we're going to skip a couple of weeks here and there, but stay tuned. We're going to have Cerner Corporation with Major General Retired Pat Sargent. He's going to be talking about the EHR rollout at VA and DOD, what's going right, what's going wrong. You're also going to hear us interview Chef Robert Irvine. That's going to be an exciting interview. He is right now with some disabled veterans over at the UK, and he is currently in a 54 mile road march with them. You're also going to hear from Conflict to Creativity. It's an exciting art project that's going on over at the Library of Congress this summer. You'll hear from some of the artists and the creator. Stay tuned. We've got some really great programs coming up. Thanks for listening to the Policy Vets podcast. For more information about projects and other podcasts, go to policyvets.org.